This morning we're finishing up our series, um, Thriving with Opportunities, and just want to give you kind of a, a sense of, of what's going to be happening over the next few weeks and months. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate Palm Sunday, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, read up in Zechariah 9.9. That's the prophecy that we're going to study next Sunday in light of Christ's fulfillment of it. On Easter Sunday, we're going to stay in Zechariah 9, and we're going to go to verses 11 and 12, and we're going to look at the victory that Jesus brought that makes us, and I love this phrase, prisoners of hope, and we're going to uh, dig into that. After that, we're going to spend eight weeks studying our articles of faith, which will become obvious today uh, in today's message as to why that is so necessary. And then we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday, and then we're going to go into the summer. And this summer is a summer in the Psalms. We're going to study a number of different Psalms and their particular genres to understand how we understand who Jesus is, how the Psalms point to Jesus and celebrate Jesus so that we can, we can commune with God with, with, these, with these wonderful Psalms. And then in the fall, we're going to get back to Nehemiah. Today, God willing, we're going to work through five chapters. I hope you brought lunch. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to, we're going to get in our allotted time, but we are going to look at these five chapters as we conclude this, this series on thriving with opportunities, understanding that God has made each one of us. He has placed us where he wants us. And if we are born again, we've been given the spirit of God with spiritual gifts to serve his purpose. All of these come about as opportunities and we, we have the capacity to be thriving people people with opportunities. And what we've been talking about is how we take advantage of the opportunities that God gives. Now, first and foremost, we first have to understand what it means to be thriving and make sure that we are thriving. What is thriving? Thriving is the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting the outcomes to God's capable care. Not everyone is thriving, and today we're going to talk about how it is you can be thriving, some steps that you can take. Last week, we, we looked in Nehemiah chapter 5, and we talked about injustice. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and take it out and begin to thumb your way to the book of Nehemiah. Last week, we, we saw injustice within those who claim to be the people of God, and, and how there was a corrective that was brought by the Word of God. What we're going to study today, it has, and I want, to, I want you to understand this from the, from the outset, there is a defensive sense to the scripture today and an offensive sense. And I'm going to go ahead and let you know up front, I'm going to speak primarily today with the majority of our time to the defensive sense of what God calls us to. We are going to get to the offense, but we're going to spend most of our time on defense. And, and when I say defense, what, what, what I mean by that is, friends, we, we must not be naive. Thriving people are not naive, but they honor God. They, they honor God, and that's the offensive sense. The defensive sense is do not be naive. The offensive sense is honor God. We must be wise, wise to the schemes of God's enemies, and we must remain faithful to God. The enemies of God are always seeking to destroy our faith. 
always seeking to confuse and to confound God's people. And we need to be wise to their schemes. Years ago, a friend of mine and I, we ran in the the 10K Classic here in Bowling Green. I'd never done that before. He'd never done that before. And so we tried to train, although that is not something that, that we were particularly effective at. And we entered the race with a basic understanding that we had one simple goal. Finish the race and don't throw up. Simple enough, right? It wasn't like our expectation. We weren't there to win the race. We were there to finish the race without completely humiliating ourselves in front of our friends and families. And so we started the race acknowledging there might be a time when we might walk. We're okay with that. We're chubby and we're happy, all right? So we, we, we acknowledge that. And as we were in the race, we were talking about, okay, do we want to start walking up here? And we'd look at, at, at different, you know, kind of po- posts. You know, do you want to stop? That? No, I feel good. Let's keep going. So we kept running. Now, we weren't running fast, but we were keeping up with some, some different people that were clearly runners like the pink ladies. There was a group of women that day that were running and they were all, they were all decked out in pink and glitter. And boy, they were sassy. And they were running and they were jumping and skipping and dancing. And, you know, we're just trying to maintain, right? And they're just having big time. And, and, and one of them was a member of Living Hope. And with the love of Jesus in her heart, she started doing a little trash talking. She was advising us to pick up the pace. She was saying, come on, run with us. Come on, let's race. Come on. There was a very strong temptation for us to get away from our plan, the plan Finish the race and don't embarrass yourself. Now, had we run with the pink ladies, we would have surely vomited. We would have surely been humiliated by women in glitter. But instead, we saw through the schemes. We were not naive. We stayed the course and there was no vomit that came from us. We finished the race. Friends, in the Christian life, the goal is simple. Finish the race. Finish the race of faith. There's going to be lots of distractions. There's going to be lots of temptations to get us away from God's plan. But we must be wise and seek to be able to say what Paul said at the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The only way we are going to win the fight and finish the race is to keep our eyes on Jesus. We must stay focused on him. He is the prize. We are going to be constantly tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus and his word. We must never be naive about this temptation. And we must be wise and make it our goal always to honor God. Now our text today, these five chapters, they show us how to do that. We're going to start in chapter 6. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 just for foundation. And then we're going to work our way through the text. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Nehemiah chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekaphorim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. 
And I sent message to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why, sh- why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Nehemiah had overcome a lot at this point. Let's take a quick review. Go back to Nehemiah chapter one. Let's remember that Nehemiah had been called by God to take this mission trip and to rebuild this wall. And he was afraid from the get-go. And he prayed and, and God showed him favor and the king showed him favor. And so he got permission to come and he left a really, a really cushy, comfortable job in life to go on mission for God. And so we see in, in, in chapter two and chapter three that he had to overcome the apathy and the indifference of the people. The people there in Jerusalem, they had gotten acquainted and comfortable with living in ruins. They, they had gotten comfortable with being the derision of their neighbors, of the enemies of God and, and always being spoken down to. They had no concept of, of being victorious in, in what God could do. So in chapter four, they began to build, they began to get on with God's work, they were seeing success, and then there were very serious attacks, physical threatening attacks that that were about to besiege them. But again, they were wise. Again, Nehemiah's leadership shone forth, and there was the capacity for the people to continue on in the victory that God was providing. Last week we saw not attacks from the outside, but from the inside, is is there was injustice among God's people and there was a corrective given by the scriptures so that the people could have peace. Now what we're going to see today in in chapter 6 is that they're about to be done with the wall, but the enemies of God have not given up. And friends, that's what we need to understand. We have victory in Jesus. He has defeated sin and death. And the devil can no longer have our souls or control of our lives. But that doesn't keep the darkness from wanting to deceive us and to tempt us and to take us away from the will of God. We must be wise to the devil's schemes. We must be mindful of what he wants to do. And we need to live in the victory of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to celebrate on Easter is the victory of Jesus and how we can live in that victory. What we're going to see in our text today and what we need to take note of these two very important things is how to overcome the darkness how to defeat the enemies of God in our own life. Again, there is a defensive sense and there's an offensive sense. Let's first talk about the defensive sense. Take note, thriving people. Thriving people are never naive. They're never naive about the schemes of God's enemies. They are not naive about the schemes of God's enemies. And we need to understand that God's enemies are always scheming. They are always seeking to destroy and to devour, to confuse and to confound and to cause disruption and disunity. We should not be surprised by that. We should not be naive about that. It says in Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Nehemiah was always under attack, but he knew it. Him knowing that he was gonna be under attack 
created for him a defensive posture. He was not naive. He knew that there was going to be disruption. He knew that the darkness was going to try to destroy the light. Friends, a big step in avoiding being naive about the schemes of God's enemies is to constantly be aware that the enemies of God are scheming and are working to tempt us to give up and get away from God's will. Let's look at a few of the ways that the darkness schemed against Nehemiah. And and I want to tell you, as just a way of transparency and honesty, um, I I have been duped by some of these. I have been naive about some of these. And I've sometimes failed God. And it has harmed the faith and, and I believe even my testimony. And so I I speak these things to you as not as one who has got it all figured out, but as one who knows the word of God and who wants to tell us all, we must be wise. We cannot be naive. There are schemes. There are attacks. So what 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 are the enemies of God always doing? Well, they're doing what they did with Nehemiah. The first thing they tried to do is they tried to isolate Nehemiah. They tried to isolate him. So in our scripture that we read this morning, verses one through four, that's what you see happening. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, what they're trying to do is they're trying to lure Nehemiah out from the the, the safety of the community of God and the walls they had built. And he saw it. Look what he he says there in in verse uh, four. I I knew that that they were going to try to harm me. And so I sent, and they sent for me four times and I answered them in the same way. He knew what they were doing. Friends, let me tell you what the devil, the devil is pictured in 1 Peter 5 as a, as a lion. Here's what lions like to do. They like to go one-on-one. Lions don't like to go against a pack. Lions want to go against an individual that has strayed. The lion, the devil, is always looking for a stray from the Lord's flock to isolate that lamb to devour it. Friends, be so careful that you are not getting isolated from the people of God. Be so wise. Do not be naive into thinking that you can do it on your own. And if you found yourself in a place where where you are maybe in isolation, I beg you to join and to start a fight club or for ladies, a flourish group. You say, well, what is that? It's not complicated. A fight club is two to four men getting together to discuss God's word and pray together. A flourish group is two to four women getting together to discuss God's word and pray together and encourage one another. If, if you want to be a part of that, get two or three other men, men, and a lady, go and get two or three other ladies, and then just email us at info at lhbg.org, and we will give you the materials for your discussion. It's not rocket science, but what it takes is you being wise. It takes you being wise to the danger you are in. Men, if you don't have other men that are speaking into your life and that you're speaking into theirs. Ladies, if you don't have other women, godly women, speaking into your life and you into theirs. Second thing is they tried to intimidate Nehemiah with lies and fake friendship. Look in verse five. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now, 
Come and let us take counsel together. What's he doing? He, he's, he's trying to, to, to draw him into a political discussion that has nothing to do with God's will. What he's trying to do here is to say, hey, they're saying some things about you, but you know, I'm your friend. So why don't you and I, let's just get together and let's just work this. I'm sure this is just a misunderstanding. Let's just sit together. Let's discuss this. Now, Nehemiah didn't fall for it. Look in verse eight. Then I said to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and, and it will not be done. For years, the church has fallen into the trap of getting engaged in politics. And, and, and there are times when I am, am rightly criticized because I, I should have said something that I didn't. There, there are times I, I, should have said, I should have said something, but I didn't. Knowing that line takes wisdom. And it's not entirely in my capacity. That's why we have elders. That's why we have godly men around to help us to discern. But friends, what we cannot do is we cannot become a political pawn. What we cannot do is allow those on the outside to drive what happens within God's church. The enemy, the enemy is hard at work right now. The enemy is taking content and pushing it to the extremes. And so I'm sure you're getting stuff on Facebook just like I am. Hey, here's this video. You need to watch it before they delete it because this is true. This is really what's happening. Here's what's going on with the other side. And it's, friends, it's not just in politics. Reading this week of what's happening in the psychiatric realm and what they're doing to change policy and practice according to health research is terrifying. There are extremes that are at work and we gotta be mindful, we cannot be naive. The enemy tries also to, to get us to trust government, to, to trust those in, in leadership. Can I just tell you, the only hope that we have in this world is Jesus Christ. Praise God. And the only truth in this world is the Bible. Jesus Christ and the word of God is our only hope. And we've got to stay focused on Jesus and pray as Nehemiah did. Look how he prayed in verse nine. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Ask God to strengthen your hands for the work of faith. To strengthen your hands to pursue the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. To strengthen your hands for prayer and dedication to the way of God. Third thing to notice in verse 10 is how they tried to deceive him. And this is, this is really, this is something. With a religious leader and religious rhetoric. They used a religious leader. And the, the application for our day is stunning, as I'm going to share with you. Look in verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Shemaiah was the son of a priest who apparently was an intimate friend of Nehemiah, which, makes, which make this, made this unbelievably difficult for Nehemiah. This was a supposed friend who was tempting him to dishonor God and to walk away from the word of God. 
This was a su- supposed religious leader. Nehemiah didn't fall for the trap. Look in verse 11. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Right now, there are a lot of so-called religious leaders who are making a lot of money telling lies. Telling people stuff that's not true. They're hired hands. They are not good shepherds. They are shepherds that flee when the flock is in danger because they have no true conviction concerning the word of God and Jesus Christ. Friends, we must discern the difference between those who love Jesus and stand on his word and those who don't. Right now, sadly, there are religious leaders that I once trusted that I don't trust anymore. There are organizations and even denominations that I used to trust that I cannot stand with anymore. People I used to serve on boards with that I can no longer call brothers or sisters in Christ because of what they have chosen to do and the direction they have determined to go. Right now, there is a significant, a major denomination that has very strong influence in our city that's about to divide. There will be two parts to this denomination. There's one that is abandoning the word of God. And by abandoning the word of God, that they have determined that they're going to redefine what sin is. They have sided with the LGBTQ community and issues, and they are no longer preaching the gospel that, than what salvation is according to the word of God. There is a group that is coming out of that denomination. And here's what they said on Monday. Here's what the leaders of the new denomination have said. They say they will be rooted in scripture and the historic and life-giving teachings of the Christian faith. They also say they will hold to the biblical understanding that marriage is between a man and a woman and is God's intended setting for human sexual expression. Friends, we've got to discern the difference. They're going to use the same words. Jesus, God the Father, God the Spirit, salvation. They're going to talk about truth, truth claims. There's going to be similar language, but there's not the same dictionary. There's going to be things that are said that that are not meant by what we say. In 1980, the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we are a part, we are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I would say to you proudly, I came to you 20 years ago because you were Southern Baptist. I wanted to be a part of a denomination that stood on the word of God and cared about foreign missions. And that's what is a hallmark of our denomination and us as a church. Now, in 1980, there was a significant split within the denomination. And there were many denominations that came out of the Southern Baptist Convention, all of which refused to stand on the authority of God's word, but many who continued to keep Baptist in their name, causing confusion, causing confusion even to people like me. Because years ago, we were in the process of hiring an associate pastor from a Baptist church. He had been recommended to to us by by someone that we trusted. And so we pursued this person, and I liked him. Very likable person. 
And as we were going into the second part of our interview process, a friend of mine contacted me and said, before you go any further, I think you need to ask this man one question. And I said, okay. He said, ask him if he would perform a same-sex marriage. Friends, this is before 2015. This is before the Obergefell decision. This was before that. And I laughed and said, oh, okay. So we asked the question in the interview. And he said, I don't know. I don't know if I would perform a same-sex marriage or not. That interview ended. That person, that man is not on our staff. Now, I like him, but we don't agree. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, pastor, I feel sorry for you that you have to deal with these issues. Mom and dad, don't fool yourself. Do not be naive. Your children are going to be on playgrounds. And they're going to say things like, I don't have a mom and dad. I have a mom and a mom. I don't have a mom and a dad. I have a dad and a dad. You're going to walk into shopping stores and you're going to see a very large person that talks like a man, but is dressed like a woman. And you're going to need to be able to lovingly teach your child how to respond. Friends, don't be naive. And understand, you cannot trust the television to teach your children anymore. What your children are about to see on television, once this, once this pandemic is over and movies begin to pour out and television shows begin to pour out, it's going to be terrifying to the redeemed. And it should be, unless we're naive, unless we don't care. Friends, there are going to be, those of you who are parents, listen to me. Your children are going to be invited to go to youth group at another church. Or they're going to be invited to go to a Christian club. And friends, you need to make sure you know what they're going to. You need to look, before you listen to a sermon, before you listen to a podcast, before you allow your child to go to another church, you need to go to their website. Before you read another Christian book or, or, or listen to a, a Christian preacher, you need to go to their, their website and look at their articles of faith. Read our articles of faith and just start at our first article. You won't have to go any further than that. Go to our first article that says that the Bible is the in, an infallible, inerrant word that is the basis of our truth. Go to the other sites. If they do not hold to the authority of Scripture, friends, you need to be concerned. And you need to tell your children, no. Because there's deception that will be taught. And we can't be naive. We can't be naive. And Nehemiah wasn't naive. Look in verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sambal, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. He said, God, deal with those people who are lying, who claim to be of you from you, but we know they are not of you because they don't proclaim your word. Fourth thing, they tried to overwhelm Nehemiah and make him afraid from within. This is fascinating. Look at verse 17. Moreover, in, these in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. 
For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Now, I'm not going to go into all these backgrounds, but these are prominent, important people, many of whom had religious connections within the faith community of that city. So here's what they're doing. There are enemies within God's people who have been deceived and they have determined their allegiance to one outside of the will and the way of God. And they are now believing those lies and bringing, bringing very strong intimidation against Nehemiah and the people. Friends, we need to understand right now that we have a very strong opposition to scripture and to our fundamental beliefs. Right now, there is a moral revolution that is underway. That, that they are telling us that we are to submit. As for me and my house and this church, we will serve the Lord. We will not back down to the moral revolution. We will stand on the word of God, come what may. We voted on that as a congregation and we will stand on that as a congregation. This is what we believe. Right now, there are people telling us to judge people according to the flesh. That is not the way of a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. We are being told to judge people according to the flesh. Proponents of the critical race theory, proponents of the critical race theory are telling us we must judge people and ourselves by the color of our skin. There are political commentators telling us we must judge people and ourselves by our political affiliation. There are nationalists who are telling us we must judge people and ourselves by our worldly citizenship. Friends, make no mistake about it. The Bible teaches us how we are to fundamentally think about ourselves and other people. This is second. You need to write this down and remember this right now. Hold to this. I am sending this verse out so often. I've just got it cut and pasted and ready to go for any, any email that I'm going to get today or that I have received recently. And here it is. Second Corinthians 5, 16. I'm just going to read verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't regard people according to the flesh. We don't regard people according to the color of their skin. We don't think that there's a, a different way, a different reality for people of different skin tone. We don't think that, that, that there's a difference in, in being a human being made in the image of God because a person happens to be a part of one political party or another or because they happen to be a part of another country other than our own. That's not how we view people. The Bible teaches us fundamentally that we view people in one of two ways. Either they are a born-again, Bible-believing, saved child of God, or they're not. Here's what it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Did anybody ever hear that song? Somebody say that song, talking about that. 
And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Either we believe the good news and the scripture that it comes from, or we don't. That's the way we look at people. Are they born again? Are they not born again? Are they spirit-filled? Are they not spirit-filled? Have their sins been, been forgiven by the blood of Jesus? Or are they still under the condemnation of the wrath of God because of their sin? It's two categories, biblically speaking, fundamentally speaking. Doesn't mean we don't have different colors. Doesn't mean we don't have uh, different political persuasions or that we're not from different countries. What it means, though, is either we're born again and going to heaven or we're not. That's the way the Bible views humanity. And we must not be distracted and tempted to go and to look otherwise. So that's the defensive. Let me quickly get to the offensive side of this. Write this down and remember. Thriving people are always wise to honor God. It's always wise to honor God and to pursue his purpose. And that's the offensive sense of this. We can't be naive. We got to be defensive against things like that. But we also have a responsibility to act. We must honor God by pursuing his purpose. Look what it says in Ephesians 6. Again, what we saw in verse 11 was, do not be naive to the schemes of the devil. Look what it says in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Friends, the greatest obstacle in our ability to be a thriving people and to influence other people to be thriving is this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are opposed to God. And as we deal with challenges, we must keep our eyes on Jesus and honor him as we pursue his purpose. This is certainly what Nehemiah did and why he was able to succeed. Look in chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Why? For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Those who were with Nehemiah and those who were against Nehemiah knew this was a work of God. There was supernatural power that was at play. Can I tell you, if you are a born-again believer today, it's because of the supernatural power of God. It's because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ his atoning sacrifice and his capacity to overcome death because he lives, I live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is the light that we shine. This is the, this is the hope that we bear to, on the world. Friends, honor God by acknowledging three things. First of all, our dependence on him. And that's something that Nehemiah did the whole way through. I mean, from chapter one through, through chapter six, he's praying all the time, God help us, God help us, God help us. And then when he did, God helped us, God helped us, always pointing to God. Secondly, his power to transform. God can change circumstances. He doesn't always change circumstances, but he can. And so we ask God to change circumstances. But even better than that, God can change hearts. God can change the hearts and minds of people who are dead to him and bring them to life. And that's what we pray and that's what we pursue. We're not 
we're not seeking sociological change. Go back to Matthew 4 and read the temptations of Jesus. The last temptation is the devil saying, look, Jesus, forget the cross, worship me, and I'll give you the world. You can have all the hospitals, all the education, all the social justice you want. You can have everything you want. Just no heaven, no salvation, no hope, no eternal life, and no glory to God. That was the temptation of Jesus. That's our temptation today. Hey, look, y'all can meet. Y'all can do whatever you want. Just don't talk about Jesus. Just don't tell us what the Bible says. Just go along with what we say things ought to be. Don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Friends, we want to be on the right side of God, on his word, trusting in his power. And remember what Psalm, 1, Psalm 27, 1, 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman strays, uh, stays awake in vain. Friends, God is at work. And that's good news. Because we get to join God in what he's doing. This is not what I can do or what you can do or what we can do. This is what God can do. And God's changing lives. God is saving souls. God is healing marriages. God is making what was broken whole. And God is on the move. He's calling us to be a part of it. And we honor God by, by joining in what he's doing, honoring God, and, and by putting up protective measures. Look in, look in chapter 7 real quick, verses 1 through 4. It's really interesting, the strategy here. He basically creates a rhythm for the people. Look at, just kind of glance through it, and what you'll notice is he's saying to them, listen, only let people in when the sun's up. And then at night, shut the doors, put guards not only at the gates, but at every house. Look what he's doing. He's saying, look, as a people of God, we're only going to let people in when it's sunlight and we can, we can discern who they are. We're going to protect the gates and we're going to protect our homes. Friends, this is what a church is like. We have the wall, which is the word of God. And we have the gate. And as your elders, we are not going to allow anyone to join this congregation who cannot give testimony that they've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we're going to guard the city. And then you've got to guard your home with the word of God. Dads, men, moms, you've got to stand guard with the word of God. You've got to protect your faith, protect your home, protect your mind in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you, you obey. You obey and you live the basics of the disciples' life. As a congregation, next Sunday, we're going to have the opportunity to vote on our church covenant. It is built on the fundamental ways in which God's people have been commanded to live for generations. We put it in the disciples' cross at the center as we gather for worship. At the base, we equip for growth. The arms of our faith as we serve God and we serve the church in the world. We connect in groups and above all, we make more disciples. That's it. It's that simple. That's what we are called to do and to be. And we honor God by protecting our hearts and minds and the resources and the rhythms that God has commanded. Now, what you see in chapters 8 through 10, let's hit that real quick. And I told you we were going to have to do that real quick. What you see happening in chapter 8 is just basically the teaching of the Word of God. So, so look at that. Ezra, Ezra has been brought in, and he's reading the Word of God. Now, now look, look in, verse, uh, uh, in the latter part of chapter 8 and verse 9, you see the response of God's people, really in the middle uh, of chapter 8. And I want to look at that with you in just a minute. And then at the end of chapter 10, we see the commitment. So, so first of all, we, we've got to honor God by responding rightly to the word of God. 
letting it disrupt us. Friends, if the Bible does not disrupt you, you've not read it rightly. Every time you read the word of God, there should be something that says, wait a minute, I need to do something. So look what happened with the people of God. Go real quick to chapter eight, look at verse nine. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse nine. When they came in contact to the word of God, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They recognized their sin and they wept and they repented. But more than that, the word of God delights and encourages us. Look at verse 10. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible gives us a joy knowing that salvation is in Christ alone. He has won the victory. We have hope. This world is not our home. Jesus is coming back. He's going to go with us every step of the way. And finally, look in the last part. Go to the very last verse of chapter 10. Look at verse 39 with me. Look at their commitment. And here's where we'll conclude. Nehemiah 10, 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. Here's what they're saying. We'll put God first. We'll worship him first before we do anything else. We'll give him financially, give to him financially before anything else. We will pray to him first. He will be the first in every aspect of our life. We will not neglect him. Now you're only gonna do that if you're thriving. If you're not thriving, you're going to make compromises. You're going to compromise your prayer life, your financial life, your calendar, your, your, your pursuits. You're going to compromise your, your own character and integrity and faith. Thriving is the, it's, it's the simple confidence to be intimate with God. And the contentment to obey God's commands. All trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Friends, you can only do that if you are a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now someone would receive your grace, that they would acknowledge that they have sinned, but that they believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sin and that you, God, will give them life and that you will guide them. And I pray that right now many would receive that. Father, I also pray for many uh, who are members of this family of faith, many who are not members, but who are indeed believers, born again, spirit-filled believers who are making compromises in their thinking and in their lifestyle. And Father, I pray that right now they would repent of their lack of faith in your word and commitment to know it and to obey it. Holy Spirit, please show us, show us our sin, show us how we are not honoring you, Lord. And would you right now hear your people repent of trusting and looking at people in, in the ways of the flesh rather than according to the word of God. God, hear your people as we repent of not trusting in your scripture, not loving you, not obeying you in that love, not loving others. Lying is not loving. Oh God, make us truth tellers with love. And bless us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.